0: I'm Joe, for those of you who don't know me, most of you know me, um, I'm one of the preachers here at this church, uh, typically when I preach it's at Cross Point. it's our college ministry. Um, just so you know, uh, I'm going to be very forward with you this evening, it's my style, and uh, I'm going to treat you like college students, I'm going to speak to you the same way I speak to them, just so you know, so it might come off a little harsh, uh, and it is. Um, And it's real forward and direct. Um, A little bit about me. If you don't know me, uh, I'm from here. I'm from Nacogdoches. Uh, I've been going to this church for a long time. Uh, I went to this youth group. Before it was called Refuge, it was called something else that doesn't matter. Um, That was a long time ago. Um, uh, I used to be a drug dealer. used to be a cocaine addict. Um, And I sold drugs and still went to this youth group here, this church right here which might strike you as odd, but that happens. In fact, it still happens here today in this room. Um, people using drugs, uh, coming to church. Uh, I did it, people do it now. Um, but God has radically changed my life and is still doing that. He is still changing me very much, um, very much. Um, yeah, I'm gonna be speaking today. We're, we're still with Abraham, we're still in Genesis. If you, you know, open your Bibles, uh, open it to Genesis 15, if you're going to read from your Bible. Genesis 15. We're looking at two things in the life of Abraham. The first one is in Genesis 15. It's called a covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And the second thing we're going to be looking at later is, uh, is the testing of Abraham. God tests Abraham. Uh, and We'll get to that in a bit. So we're going to be talking about these two things. Covenant, what that is, what that looks like. Testing what that is, what that looks like, and then I'm going to be trying to apply that directly to your lives. And it's probably going to be half a time of me teaching, like about Abraham, and then I'm going to shift gears, and I'm no longer teaching, I'm going to be preaching. It's going to be very different, you'll feel it. Um, So Genesis 15, y'all there? You're there? Yeah, you can nod. Good, good deal. So um, a little context. Um, uh, Jamal preached last week about... uh, Abraham being basically a nomad, leaving everything, taking his family with him, uh, and leaving basically a safe land and coming to a dangerous land. He's just got through with a battle. Um, A king has approached him and said, hey, you want to be on my team? That's basically what he said. You want to be with me? You want to link arms with me and my people? Um, The the king of of Sodom comes and says that to him. And he says, no, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to link arms with you or make a covenant with you, essentially. A covenant, uh, this is very difficult to describe, but a, a covenant is basically a promise that is made in these times, a very serious promise. It's tough to, to, to correlate them to, to our days because, you know, closest thing is like a pinky promise, I don't know, or marriage, but we don't really treat marriage that sacred anymore. We're supposed to. Um, so it's difficult to compare, but it is an everlasting bond, an everlasting truth between two people being joined together. Um, And it's very common uh, in this time because your big family, Abraham has a big family, but he has no other people. He has no other tribes. So something happens, uh, he's screwed. And so you have to basically make covenants with other tribes, join arms with them, basically uh, promise, hey, I'm with you, you're with me. We've got each other's backs. And so someone just came to Abraham and said, hey, I'll do that with you. He says no. Uh, And he says no because God has made some incredible promises to him. Uh, and he believes that he's not going to link arms with anyone else. So, Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Open your Bibles. We're going to read. Genesis 15. After these things, the word. This is after him saying, No, I'm not going to link arms with you. Uh, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Stop right there. So. That is who is going to defend him. Those are the people. The people who's going to come to Abraham's side is God himself. You don't need these other tribes. You don't need these other people in this dangerous land. You got me, is what he tells him. That's what he tells him. All right, verse 2. But Abram said, uh, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Uh, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Stop there. So, so he's worried because he's got family, but he doesn't have any direct children of his own. So God's made these promises about a family, about a land, about this blessing, but he doesn't have any children to give it to. Um, imagine God telling you he's going to bless you with all this land, all this money, and he'd be like, who am I going to give it to? I don't have anybody. If you didn't have a child, if you didn't have, you know, you're going to die, and who's going to get it? Nobody. Somebody else. Um, Evidently, he doesn't care about this other person, Eleazar. Um, uh, uh, Verse uh, verse 5, excuse me. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God makes a promise. You're not just going to have one son. You're going to have like, I don't know how many, I mean, you're feel like a billions. You're going to have countless offspring. Countless offspring. And this is the first place in the entire Bible where we see God recognize faith as a mode of salvation. That last verse there that I read 6 and he believed the Lord, he believed what God told him, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He counted it to him as righteousness. The way that we believe in Jesus and are saved, it's like, it's, a, it's like this. He says, I see your faith, I see your belief, I see it. And that's important, that's an important theme throughout Scripture, is faith. Let's keep reading. And he said to him, I am the Lord your excuse me, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer, it's a big cow, three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And He brought him all these, cut them in half, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Stop there for a second again. So, this is very typical of a covenant. Again, this is not something that you and I have ever experienced. God has told him basically to make a covenant with him. He's cutting these animals in half, in half, like a big old heifer, a big old cow. He's literally, he's like sawed it in two with a knife. He spread the pieces apart, and he's done with this with multiple animals. Um, and typically what you would do when two men would make a covenant for each other's tribes, uh, after you've done this, you would walk between the pieces. All the blood is just everywhere. Uh, all the guts is just everywhere. And they would make promises to each other. They would make this promise just covered in blood. Um, and walking in the midst of it, it's pretty gross, but that's their world. That's the world they lived in. It's the world they lived in. So Abraham has done this. He's cut the pieces, okay, now he's waiting. It says even he's been waiting so long, birds have come down to eat uh, the animals. He drives them away. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be be buried in a good old age and they shall come at and come back in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete when the Sun had gone down and it was dark behold a, th- a smoking fire pot, so a pot that's got smoke coming out of it, and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates, uh, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Cabanites, and a bunch of other ites that don't matter. Um, so instead of Abram and another man walking through these pieces, Abram doesn't walk through it at all. God makes it, he is this, he's this symbol of smoke and fire, and he is moving through these pieces and speaking this promise. So he actually doesn't even make the, he makes the promise to Abram, uh, but Abram's not, doesn't have to hold up on it. Um, He's not a part of it. He just experiences it and receives this promise um, without having to be held accountable. It's very interesting. God makes a promise essentially to himself uh, that I will bless you. It's what he does. So he sees his faithfulness, and then he blesses him and makes a covenant. This is a very serious promise. Um, and this promise is carried out throughout the rest of this entire book, all the way th- down here to the bottom. Um, th- this promise we just read is carried all the way through. Uh, all the nations being blessed, I mean, that's us. Uh, Abraham is a Jew. No one in this room is a Jew, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure. Um, But we are blessed, and God has, through a series of uh, very crazy events, blessed the entire world with Jesus. Um, He has. He has. He's blessed us. So we see here God being faithful, making incredible promises. We see faith, belief being credited as righteousness. That's important. So God looks at Abram's faith and says yes. This is what I want, this is what I desire, and it's just faith. He didn't do anything, he just believed it. He just believed it. All right, now we're going to jump over. Jump over to chapter 22. Chapter 22 of Genesis. So, uh, at this point in the story, chapter 22 here, um, this is towards the end of Abraham's life. Uh, Abraham was like 100 years old, by the way, when he finally had a son. His name was Isaac. He had one child. His name was Isaac. He finally, finally had a son. He did. He was faithful. He believed. And God was good on it. He was good on his his promise, on his word. Um, and God, in this chapter right here we're about to read, tests him. He tests his faith. And this is important as well. He tests his faith. Um, Read just verse 1 with me real quick. After these things, God tested Abraham. Actually, stop right there. God tested Abraham. So that is, you read that first verse, you need to keep that in your mind. Because he's about to ask him to do something crazy, ridiculous. Um, And keep in mind that when God asks him of it, he doesn't want him to actually do it. It is just a test. In no way does he want him to really do it. He is testing his faith. That's what he's doing. Let's read this. We're going to read... And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Stop there for a second. So, how many of y'all have heard this story? You can raise your hand. A lot of you are familiar with this story. That's good. So what a ridiculous request from God. It's that's, that's crazy to kill your son, sacrifice your son, the one you've been waiting for for a long time, the one I promised you. Uh, that is just a, that's a request that is beyond uh, my thinking. I couldn't do it if I was Abraham, by the way. I couldn't do it. Um, that is beyond me. Um, he's asked that of him, and he is testing him And look in this verse right here, the last one I read, verse 5. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So he's telling his servants, Abraham's telling some of his servants, we're going to go up here, me and my son, and we're coming back here. And so you actually see his faith verbally right there. He says, we're going to come back. He's going to go, he's mind son, I'm going to go sacrifice my son. I don't know how, but we're coming back. We're coming back. Let's keep reading, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his ha- in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So Isaac's getting it. He's like, Um... I see the fire. I see your knife. I'm carrying this wood on my back. Where's the lamb we're sacrificing? And he says, God will provide. God will provide the lamb. Um, uh, verse, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. So this is very uh, much in contrast to what we read in, in chapter 15, where God speaks, makes a promise, Abraham believes, and it's golden. This is different. He's tested him purposely with action. Well, it's still faith, but by action. What is he actually going to do when it comes down to it? And that's important. What's he going to do when it actually comes down to it? He tests him. And Abraham Abraham passes. He passes this test. Um, It's incredible, but he does. And so when we look at this, we see something. We see that God... Tests individuals. Do you know that God tests people? God is going to test you. Some of you have already been tested. Some of you, in very small ways, some of you have been handed huge tests already. Um, and some of you, the worst is yet to come. It'd be very difficult. God tests His people. He tests their faith. Now look at this. This, this last verse that I read. verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nation of the earth be blessed. Why? Why? Because you have obeyed. Because you have obeyed my voice. Very different than because you just believed, because you had faith, because you obeyed, because of an action. And so we see these two things are very tied together. Faith and action. They're very tied together. If you've ever read the letter of James in the New Testament, he's all about faith and action working together Um, and this is a perfect picture of it Um, faith and action working together God expects it Uh, in James James talks about testing he says to expect it as well and you're actually supposed to count it as joy that God would test you God would test you so um, yeah we're gonna shift gears so I want to apply this to our lives when we look at this, there are a lot of similarities of this story between like this and Jesus and the cross. Has anybody ever noticed that? Like his only son, it's the third day, uh, he's carrying wood on his back, like Jesus carried the cross. Um, it's like really similar. Has anybody ever noticed that? Yeah? A few people? Um, it's a common teaching that this is like a foreshadow, a foreshadow of what's to come. Um, which is very true. It's a foreshadow of what's to come. But when Moses wrote this, um, nobody knew who Jesus was. Nobody knew who Jesus was. Uh, and many people weren't even expecting something like Jesus would happen. Um, he's writing it to a people who are in the midst of having, in uh, the midst of a huge trial, um, and they're, on it, they're failing. They actually fail. The people while he's writing this, they, they fail hard. Um, and so there's an application that doesn't have anything to do with, with foreshadow, but it has everything to do with here and now for the Israelites when Moses wrote this. It has to do with action. And it is two things that we pull away from that, that God is faithful, God is faithful, and he will test you. That's what Moses wanted the people to know, and that's what we need to know as well. God is faithful, and God will test you. He wants you to be faithful as well question is, are you? And that's what we're going to talk about right now. Are you faithful? You've been tested. Did you pass? Did you fail? So, I want to take this three different directions. Three different directions. I think there's three different if I can do this, three different types of people in this room. There are three different types of people. The first group I want to talk to are the people who are faithful. You have been tested and you have been faithful. Um, And you get tested every week. I'm not talking about science and math. You get tested every week with temptations that come your way, um, with problems that come up in your house, and you're faithful. You believe in God. You trust in God to provide. You trust that God is good. You face temptation. Some of your friends are using drugs. They're going to parties, and you're you're steering away from it, and you're walking away saying, "No, that's not for me." And you're faithful. I want to encourage you to continue in that path. I continue to be faithful. God is good. You're right. God is good. He has more more tests for you. He's going to continue to do that. And James says that that as you're tested. You need to hold fast, and that that steadfastness will grow. That the more you're tested and the more you cling to God, uh, the stronger that grip gets. Uh, and then your testing gets harder and harder. Uh, but your love for God will grow. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. Some people call that sanctification, or a part of sanctification anyways. The big church word, sanctification. That's lasting through testing. Um, so the the second group that I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about a bit more. The second and third group quite a bit. Um, so some of you um, have fallen into a leader earlier said this. Uh, well, that you've fallen into complacency, or a group of you who are Christians. Uh, who love Jesus and you have fallen into complacency. Uh, you got high on Jesus over the summer at summer camp or uh, you were nailing stuff to the cross at that, big, at that meeting with all the other stuff um, and the things you nailed to the cross, like I'm not going to look at porn anymore and you've gone right back to it. I'm going to stop drinking and go to parties and you've gone right back to it and you've gotten complacent. You have gotten complacent, apathetic. You've let your faith slide. You've let it become something less and that's not okay, that's not appropriate, it's not good in any way, and that's different for each of you, some of you are backsliding in very different ways, some of you are going back to porn, Uh, some of you are going to parties, some of you are uh, not as joyful as you were, and you're being disrespectful to your teachers, you're being disrespectful to your parents, and that may not sound like something, uh, like, oh, at least I'm not a drug dealer like you were, but it's just as bad, it is. You're falling into something that is evil. Being disrespectful to your parents, to your teachers, no way. You can't do that, no way. So one of the reasons I'm talking about this right now is it's become a problem. I'm talking about here, in this group, in this group here. It's become a problem. Um, how, how many of you all know who Kevin Heron is, Coach, Coach Heron? You all know who he is? Yeah. He's a coach at uh, Central Heights. So when I went to school here, excuse me, when I went to, to, to church here, the youth pastor uh, had left my, during my junior year, a very pivotal part of time in my life, and he left. Um, he had good reasons, though. Um, he left, and we didn't have anybody, no youth pastor whatsoever for like a year and a half. And so parents, uh, just parents from Grace Bible, started uh, doing it. And actually, Coach Heron, uh, like, took the reins and started leading uh, the, youth, the, the, the youth group. They actually, there were a bunch of people here at this church who wanted Coach Heron to be the youth pastor. Um, uh, but C- Coach knew that it wasn't for him, that uh, wasn't for him, and someone awesome like Danny was supposed to come. Um, uh, so, so in high school, people found out who I was. You can only live in that lifestyle so long before people know. Like, I've been, I know what you've been doing. I know. People tell me. I know what you've been doing. Uh, other leaders here know what you've been doing. And that happened to me. That happened to me. And I spoke with Kevin, or Coach, Coach, Coach Heron, as you call him, and I remember him telling me that I had a hard heart. And he was right. He was right. I had a hard, had a hard heart. My heart had grown cold. Uh, I didn't care. I came to church. I don't know why. Uh, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed that he died for my sins. I believed that he was resurrected, but my life wasn't any different. My life was not different at all. And it's the same for some of you here in this room. You believe in Jesus, but for some reason, your life, your life is not any different. So I'm going to start speaking to the third group the third group of people in this room. So we've got the faithful, the complacent who need to stop backsliding, and people who are in this third group. And I'm going to tell the people in the third group what I wish actually Coach Heron would have told me, something that I did not realize and something that's very difficult to say. Um, If you are walking in darkness, walking in sin, you're continually getting high, getting drunk, uh, you're, you're walking in sexual sin, um, you're walking in darkness, is what the apostle John says in his his first letter, the letter first letter of John. He says you walk in darkness while you say you have fellowship with Jesus, and you're a liar. That's what John says. You're a liar. But let me tell you something. You're walking in this sin. You're walking in this sin. You're using drugs. You're getting drunk. You're bringing people to parties. What Coach Heron should have told me that I'm going to tell you is you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. You come to church, but you are not a Christian. You are walking in sin, and you are not who you say you are. You're not. You're a liar. And what's difficult about it is you don't even know that you're a liar. You don't even know. Because you think that you're good for some reason. You think, I don't know why. I don't know why you think this, but you think, I don't know, something about the grace of Jesus just like covering whatever you want to do, and it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus can cover any sin, but it's going to be sin that you repent of. If you keep walking in sin, you, you've just, what have you done? You've just like cut down Jesus' cross. What are you standing on? You keep walking in sin. The author of Hebrews says all that's left for you is fearful judgment. Fearful judgment. And I'm going to tell you something else that I wish Kevin would have said. That's automatically true. If you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. If you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. If you're walking in darkness while you say you have fellowship with Jesus, you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian You're going to hell. And that's heavy. I don't think I've ever stood in front of a group of people and thought like, man, there's some people in here who are going to hell. I've never said that before like that. There are a group of you right now who are unrepentant, who have not humbled themselves before their God, and you are going to hell. And that, I do not say that lightly. I do not say that lightly. And I do not say that like I want you to go there. I don't, it's the last thing I would ever want. I was, um, I was trying to think of an analogy, I don't normally use analogies, and today I have, I have this little boy, little six month old boy, and I was trying to feed him, <laughs> feed him uh, some baby food and he refused to eat. He refused to eat, he wouldn't, and I'd let him alone, I'd let him alone, I'd let him play, I'd come back and be like, okay, you hungry now, I'm gonna try and feed you, I'm gonna try and feed you, and he wouldn't, he doesn't know. He refused to eat. And I let him alone, let him play, let him try and feed himself. I gave him some little uh, little things he can eat, and he didn't really eat those either. It's like that here. It's like that here. You come here, but you're not getting fed. Danny's trying to feed you, and you're not being fed. The worship team's trying to lead you in worship, but you don't worship. That's actually the easiest way to tell. I can see, I see you goofing off during worship. It's quite obvious who you are. You don't worship God for a reason. You goof off during worship for a reason because you you don't believe in God. You don't have faith in God. You don't actually love God. Otherwise, if you knew who God was, you'd worship him here at refuge. You'd worship him. It's that simple. But you don't. Let me let me finish my analogy. So my son, he went he wouldn't eat, and then he just I see him make this face, he goes like this, and I'm like, oh, okay, so he's pooping. Makes that, and he diarrhea's everywhere. everywhere. It's just come out the front, it's just everywhere. I take the little table off, and I'm just like, it's the worst I've ever seen. I've gotten a lot of crap all over me cleaning up my son, uh, and it's the worst I've ever experienced. It, it made me angry. I was just like, oh my gosh, why is there crap everywhere? everywhere and you want to know something I take that, that table off and he grabs a handful of it like he's going to eat it and I'm like no it's like trying to feed you food trying to feed you food and then you want to eat crap and that's what some of you are doing in here that's what some of you are doing here some of you can laugh at that and others you're laughing and you're eating crap you're trying, we're trying to feed you life trying to feed you Jesus and you're literally eating handfuls of diarrhea dookie You are, I'm serious, I'm serious. Danny and I were at a conference last week and we were poking fun at a pastor's analogy uh, and Danny said every, every analogy breaks down. Every analogy is like goofy and it breaks down. Here's where this analogy breaks down. My son's not responsible, he's six months old. I'm responsible for my son. But you're responsible for you. My son doesn't know any better. He doesn't even know how to eat food. He's not old enough. You do. You're responsible. You're old enough. And to think you can just walk around and do whatever you want. You can talk to your teachers how you want, you can talk to your coaches how you want, your parents how you want. You think you can use drugs and be a Christian? You're wrong. You're dead wrong. I was wrong. I may sound like I'm very judgmental, but I'm free, I'm speaking from a place of experience. All those things I listed earlier, I've done. And you're you are wrong. You cannot walk in it. You cannot and you will not. You can't. Um, tonight's going to be a little different when we end. Um, Brandon's going to come up in a bit. He's going to lead worship by himself. Um, so it's a little Quieter your leaders your cross your uh, not leaders, your your refuge leaders are gonna line up on this wall on these walls right here all the way around they're gonna line up because while Brandon is leading us in worship I want you to go to that your leader your leader and tell them what you've been doing and trust me they probably already know you need to tell them what you've been doing you need to tell them you need to humble yourself and repent listen You need to humble yourself and repent. And if you think this is not for you, if you think like, oh, I don't have to do what this guy says, I'm going to do whatever I want, you are a fool. You are a fool if you think you can keep doing whatever you want. You need to humble yourself before your God. You need to humble yourself before your God. This is a very serious situation. Very serious situation. This is life and death. And I'm not talking about this life, I'm talking about the next one. I would rather, I know this is harsh, I would rather you hear this from me now than you hear it from God in person. Because some people will. He will look people in the face and say, I don't even know who you are. And that is scary. That's way more scary than some guy yelling at you from up here. I would rather you experience some uncomfortableness right now, some awkwardness right now, some conviction right now, then you have the final judgment of God laid on your head and you are done for eternity. And we don't think about that often, do we? We always worry about what's happening right now, what's happening this week, what's going on at this party, what's going on with this girl. You're blind, you're blind. You don't see the future and it's not good for some of you. It's not good. I know my, this is harsh. It comes across as rough. Um, But I feel like a lot of times you guys get the easy stuff. You get to hear about God's love. You get to to hear the gospel week after week. I don't know how many weeks you're going to hear it and you don't listen. And you don't act on it. And it's come to this harsh place now. All that's left is almost just judgment. And you need to repent. God still does love us. He still does love us. He wants you to be here. He wants you to be here. He wants you walking in joy. He wants you walking in peace. He doesn't want you walking in this sin. And he's serious. I know my baby analogy is kind of funny, kind of weird. God gives one too. One that you probably haven't heard before. It's in Ezekiel and it's actually much more intense than me. God's far more intense than I am. It's very intense. He calls us a newborn baby thrown to the side of a road, covered in blood, that's what he calls it in Ezekiel. Everyone walks by the baby and no one cares. They didn't even cut the umbilical cord, the baby's screaming. No one cares. And the baby's wallowing in blood. That's the depiction that God gives in Ezekiel. And then he says, he comes to the baby and picks it up and says, live, live. That's what he says to the baby. That's far more intense than my baby analogy. Baby wallowing blood, and he screams at the baby, picks it up and says, live, live. That's how he feels about you in this room. You are wallowing in blood, and he wants you to live. And right now you are walking down this path that is dark, that is leading nowhere, nowhere good. He wants you to live. He wants you to have freedom. Are you going to take it? Or are you just going to eat, keep eating crap? Feeding yourself the world, what the world thinks you're supposed to have? I pray that you don't.